and welcome to Another Bite, where we rewatch the most innovative and intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory, and I'm joined by Ariel. How's it going? And John. Hey, everybody. How are you? Oh, sip. I forgot the puns. I'm just kidding. The puns are here to stay. And better than ever, baby. Wouldn't want to give listeners anything to whine about. Great minds drink alike, or whatever the saying is. Today, with my partners in wine, we'll see if today's product is able to find the right pairing or if the founders have made some poor decisions along the way. All that and more after we pay some bills. There's no secret formula for better service throughout the customer journey, but there is the all-new Service Hub from HubSpot. It makes it infinitely easier to scale customer support and increase retention. By bringing service and support together in one powerful platform, you can deliver the best experiences for your customers and your teams. Free up time for your reps to focus on complex issues with an AI-powered help desk. Proactively drive retention with customer health scores that help keep your business ahead, and give your entire go-to-market team the data they need to operate as one unified, powerful front. Also, you can easily support, strengthen, and grow your customer base. Secrets out, HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Today on The Tank, we have Fly With Wine. And Fly With Wine is brought to us by founders Ryan and Ron. And they are asking for $500,000 for 8% in their business, which is a $6.25 million valuation. Now, Fly With Wine, very on the nose name, is a wine suitcase that allows you to check your wine in on an airplane. It also comes with a fun beverage option backpack. But essentially, the entire premise is it's like a suitcase with a pre-built-in foam pad where you can travel with ease and know that your wine that you've packed away is not wrapped in dirty underwear, but is very secure in case the airport sort of tosses your luggage, you don't have to worry about that expensive wine exploding in your laundry. So thinking about our pitch, our product, and our founders, initial thoughts of Fly With Wine, the travel suitcase. What a fun pitch. The fact that they had someone just go on stage just to pretend to be the baggage carrier for that sole purpose was Mm -hmm. like... And like, we've all seen that. So that was very relatable. We've all looked out the window and seen the airport people just tossing our things. (laughs) Right. United Breaks Guitars. It was like one of the first great viral videos. (laughs) So I thought it was a very great pitch coming out of the gates. It's a concept that, you know, for my brand, totally aligned with. I think it's serving a need that a lot of folks have. Big girl sips. Yes, when they travel (laughs) with their wine bottles. But as the pitch kind of went on and we uncovered more about the business model and where they were at, did raise a little bit more questions and hesitancies for me. But in concept, pricing-wise seemed right on point. I think the bladder itself, that it can be removed and reutilized across other pieces of luggage that you own is also really huge. Yeah, the inserts are all removable too. So it can be like normal luggage. And then when you're off to the vineyard for that like fancy vacation added right back in. (laughs) Yeah. When I first saw this, I was like, oh, I think that definitely solves a problem because I've seen United Breaks guitars and I know lots of people take wine vacations, but I'm not sure like how many people take wine vacations. I'm not sure how many want to pre-prepare to actually come home with a couple bottles of wine. Mm -hmm. Also not sure how many people are happy just bringing like four bottles of wine home. Like I think they want cases and cases of wine shipped home from their wine vacation. If they're going to like some amazing vineyard, they want couple cases shipped home. And so like, I had a hard time figuring out what the actual market size was for this. Mm-hmm. It's almost like 4 million visitors a year to Napa. So mm-hmm. there are lots of people who are taking wine vacations. And I kind of feel like most are probably unprepared to bring wine home. 
And so like, I do think they probably have some hobby business they could run by just making these suitcases available for sale in some of the wineries so that people can just take things to go. Mm. I just find it really hard to imagine they're going to be able to generate enough demand Mm -hmm. for people to proactively purchase this product. I think there's probably a bunch of like reactive demand in the moment, but that requires you being in a bunch of these wineries. Mm. I'm pretty worried about its ability to scale and the ability to actually like tap into real consumer demand. Yeah. And there's also like the question of the persona. Are the people that are taking these like exclusive wine vacations going to these really fancy vineyards planning to purchase like six plus bottles like are they buying the suitcase where you wrap things up or are they just shipping it back home so i was a little confused at who is this actually for and you're right the target persona is actually great Mm -hmm. these people have willingness to pay i think they have disposable income you know to your point ariel like the suitcase wasn't ridiculously priced for that target market it's just a question of whether when you cut through all the different slices of like, well, they only want to bring five or six bottles of wine Not home, a case. And <laughs> right. they thought about it in advance. And it's like you start slicing that market down and you're like, it's just not that many people. Is it more of an issue of the fact that it's a direct-to-consumer, though? Because I'm just very intrigued by something you said, John, around like maybe it's something that the wineries have. I'm thinking almost like airports. Mm. Maybe it's not best to be a direct-to-consumer play. Maybe it is more of like an airport or like bus station kind of play almost. Yeah, it could. It's just hard to scale on that. Yeah. And you got to convince all these wineries to basically like drop $10,000 buying suitcases and yeah. just having them in a storage room. And then like trying to convince your sommelier at the winery to also sell suitcases to people. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It just feels like a very leaky funnel. <laughs> They've tapped into a problem. I just don't know if the solution the right matches one. the buying behavior to maximize the size of the target market they can access. You have these people, they potentially already have luggage. And now you're asking them to buy a new piece of luggage on top of what they may have already brought with them. I was very surprised when they started talking about numbers, though, because year to date, they were already at 2.3 million. And I know that the Sharks focused on them losing like $100,000 for trade shows, but it was like they were still making like millions of dollars in revenue with their margins up in the 60s. So we're being like, where's the market? But they're making sales. There's clearly some demand for it. But here's where they start to break apart for me. We start to dive into their business and they have an issue with the actual IP of this business, Ah, right? right. Because they don't own uh, the product. They don't. They don't actually own the product. They're at the mercy of a parasitic manufacturer. (laughs) I know. The terms that were like thrown around, very heavy hitting. But as these founders start to unpack like how their business actually works, we find out that they have essentially purchased the rights for the suitcase for the next 10 years. But the original owner of this design is also the manufacturer of the design with exclusive manufacturing rights. So they're very tied to this one company to get these suitcases. So they have like this shadowy investor manufacturer figure that's really just like pulling the strings on this business, which I think to your point, John, really hinders how the sharks are thinking about how they could actually even scale an already difficult business to scale. It is super hard to justify investing when the company that you're investing in is licensing a product. Mm -hmm. Even if they have exclusivity, it's just always really hard to justify investing in something that's licensed. And I think the fact that the person that they're licensing the product from is also the manufacturer is Mm -hmm. fairly tricky because Mm -hmm. one of the things you would do over time if you were this business is you would try and drive your costs down by going out and getting different bids from manufacturers to reduce costs and playing manufacturers against each other, Mm -hmm. especially as you start to hit scale. 
And I think it would be very easy for the owner of this IP, who's the manufacturer, to actually do the opposite and say, I'm going to charge you more over time Mm -hmm. because I want more money out of this business. I'm going to be profitable. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And it's interesting because in that way, Rob called them an integrator or like a value-added reseller. Value-added reseller programs are an absolutely incredible way to scale something that is a considered purchase that can be fairly complex. You know, the value-added reseller model essentially operates on the premise that when someone's buying software that's really complex to implement, that like they're going to need services. And so that business can sell the software and then actually make their money by helping implement it, helping manage it, helping service it. Mm -hmm. Most of the large software companies in the world have incredible VAR programs, including HubSpot. Mm-hmm. HubSpot partners are incredible. Mm-hmm. It's just hard in a B2C environment to like imagine funding that for the sort of return you'd want on that sort of scale. Yeah. The problem is I don't know what the value is that these people are adding. So value-added reseller <laughs> assumes I think it, it's wholesale <laughs> at that point, right? Like it's kind of... I mean, I think they're just a reseller. You're I think right, they're yeah. an exclusive Fair. reseller of a product. No I don't know what value you. they're adding. <laughs> yeah. Fair. And that's the thing is the way that the company that is the VAR makes money is on the value added services or whatever else. And I think this suitcase IP owner has just outsourced the distribution and the reselling of the product, but they haven't like wrapped any sort of additional value around it. So it's hard to say it's value add. I just wish that the owner or manufacturer was there with them. And I wonder how much differently that conversation would have went if maybe they even appeared to be a little bit more of like a unified front. I wonder if they would have gotten an offer. And why not just be the same company? Why not just merge? Why do they need separate structures? Good questions. But Parasite's going to Parasite, am I right? So <laughs> That is true about Parasite. It's hard, <laughs> yeah. you know. Ultimately, though, the Sharks found this hard to scale, make profit. Because the IP was tied to the manufacturer and they couldn't find a way to make this profitable enough, unfortunately, Fly With Wine did not walk away with a Shark Tank deal. Womp womp. But it was a most recent episode. It was covered this season. So TBD on the long-term success of Fly With Wine. Maybe coming to an airport near you. Who's to say? Or a bus stop. Yeah, or a bus stop. <laughs> I don't know. Wherever you know? people travel. I like Ariel's putting out like, we're going to bus stops. <gasps> we're going to subway stations. Well, no, if like, you're in Europe and you're going stations. on train stations and bus stops. Yeah. You know? <laughs> How would you market this, Ariel? I just have to ask now. Is it kiosks and bus stations? That's the way to win? I mean, for like a last minute purchase, I could see a value in having like a point of sale display or something in airports. I wouldn't have it be like the main vehicle. I mean, if there Mm -hmm. are like travel influencers who love to go to like wine vineyards, I could see them doing some promotional or like sponsor content or like affiliate marketing could probably make sense. I'm actually banking more on that backpack than I am on the luggage. So I'm really curious to see how things shape out over the next few months because I feel like there's a little bit more... uh, upside there in utilization outside of just the airport in flying. That's a fair point. We didn't really talk about the backpack. The backpack has a 1.5 liter. Which is enough for a camelback. I didn't think I knew the persona and I was like, oh wait, Ariel's a BG poor, like big girl, poor girl. And I was like, next time I see her, she's probably got a backpack on. Yeah, for picnics. (laughs) Yeah, picnics. (laughs) I do think though, we like to be sure that these companies are super focused on a target persona. Those personas are totally different. Ariel is not the person bringing six bottles <laughs> back not, in a no. luxury case. You know. That's true. I could be, okay. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. One day. Those personas have aspirations, John. Yeah, so. what are dreams and aspirations? <laughs> yeah. If not six bottles of wine in a travel case. It's true. <sighs> Thank you.
Create Like the Greats, hosted by Ross Simmons, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Each episode hosts an in-depth analysis of some of the greatest creations and creators of all time, along with deep dive conversations on the creative process that went into building companies and brands. If you like learning about history or learning about the creative process, you'll like this podcast. Listen to Create Like the Greats wherever you get your podcasts.